0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com. Awesome. Good evening everybody. Tonight's share is a special dedication to Leah Ganendal Bas Shu'aleib, who's in the Shama should have a, an, an Aliyah, Gan Eden, and uh, we should have some Siyatha Deshmaia tonight. So tonight's Mida is the Mida of MS. and Hopefully we can share a couple of ideas and stories on this important topic, which I think a lot of people maybe understand, but maybe not in its entirety, if I may say so. So what is MS? So everybody interprets MS as meaning truth. MS means that a person should, you know, speak the truth. But there's an interesting thought that as I was preparing this class, it it struck me that when we talk about MS, we know that there's a pasuk in the Torah that says midvar shaker tircha, right? That a person should stay away from speaking falsehood. And I was like thinking to myself, one second, we're so focused on always saying, speak MS, you're an MS boy, MS girl, like we're very into like MS. Why is it that the Torah doesn't tell us that we're supposed to speak MS? Instead it presents it in a negative form. Stay away from anything which is falsehood, which is which is bad. What is the reason for that? So I want to build up and sort of explain, perhaps, a bit of an understanding of MS that, you know, for me at least it was a bit of a chiddish, and, you know, hopefully for you it is it is as well. So why is it that people don't speak MS? Let's do this in some stages. Why is it that some people, they have a hard time being truthful? So when I was in um, school for my accounting degree, they taught us that, People are generally motivated to um, seek what they call M-O-R, more. Meaning when there's ever some sort of fraud or or, or theft, what's usually going on is that somebody's looking for more. They're looking to get more than they deserve. So it's an acronym, M-O-R, which means that the person has a motivation that they would like to get something that's beyond whatever it is that they currently are receiving. They have an opportunity. That's the O. So they have a motivation. They have opportunity. So they see within, let's say, their company that they would like to make more money. They would like to keep up with the Joneses. They would like to, whatever it is, triple their salary overnight. They see an opportunity to do it. They go, oh, well, you know, I realize if I do X, Y, and Z. And then they rationalize, they cover over in their brain, right? You learned this in school, right? They rationalize in their brain as to um how they're, what they're doing is not actually fraudulent or theft or anything like that. Which is why most cases where people end up in, Courts or Besden or anything like that, they generally, they're like convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that they're completely right, even though what they did was completely wrong. But in their brain, they're, they're convinced that what they did was correct because they had a motivation that they wanted to get more money or, you know, a status or get admiration or whatever the case was. And therefore they went ahead and they did what they did. They saw opportunity to do it. And then rather than say to themselves, wow, I am a lowlife, I am a crook, I am a thief, I'm a liar. They don't say that to themselves. They say to themselves, I am great, I am wonderful, I am rich, I am powerful. That is what they convince themselves because they rationalize beyond all doubt that what they did was absolutely correct. And it's brought down in this farm that usually that is how a person starts, with falsehood. Meaning what they do is they have a reason for what they do. You know, it might be a child when they're young, they go ahead and they. you say to them, like, what happened here? And they go ahead and they, they want to get out of trouble. So they'll make up a story. They'll be like, uh, I don't know, I came home and then, you know, this was on the floor. Like They'll make up a story because they have a motivation, they see opportunity, and they rationalize that, like, it's better for me to lie than to get whacked or yelled at or sent to my room or punished or whatever, right? They, they, they generally have a real motivation for doing it. But what the Sparum explain is that while it starts that way, It never ends that way. And what happens to people who have a hard time with MS is that they don't just end up changing the truth for times where they have the motivation, the opportunity, and the rationalization. It expands into times where they don't even have a benefit for what's going on necessarily. They're not necessarily even getting the outcome. They're not necessarily getting more money or more prestige. They train themselves. Their brain just becomes a brain that is just almost wishy-washy with like or hazy between what is true and what is not true. And a lot of times you may be talking to somebody who's so used to not telling the truth because they had times where they were motivated to say non-truths and they rationalized saying those non-truths that you're like sitting there saying to yourself, "I don't know if this guy even knows if he's lying to himself." And that's so why I'm explaining that what happens to somebody who lies is that it sort of rots out their penemius and they themselves become a liar. And there's a difference between somebody who lies and somebody who's a liar. There's somebody who lies. They have a specific instance where they lie. That's the external mida, which we always talk about. There's the external side of things. The internal mida is that because you did what you did, you don't even realize what you're doing anymore. You're just sitting there saying things, and people are looking at you like, we don't believe you. Like, do you believe what you're saying? You're just so unbelievable because you're always saying things which absolutely don't stim. Like, it just doesn't work out. So that's the basic concept, the basic premise of this mitzvah: that MS is, is, is living on the straight and narrow, saying things which are truthful. And I think if you want to add sort of like a layer to this, I would say that many of the things that we consider, for example, you know, a person not allowed to advertise falsely. Um, it could be as simple as Genevas Das. You know, there's a halacha that let's say a person hangs up, they don't do this so much because today we're in like the digital age. Age, But back in the day when I was a youngster and we were like riding on our horses and buggies, people used to hang up on the lamppost like, let's say, babysitter available, right? And they would hang up like, they would cut the piece of paper on the bottom and it would say like, babysitter available, call 718, babysitter, right? And then people would rip it off and then they, right? So let's say somebody hangs it up and they want to rip off like three of them to show that like this babysitter is such an awesome babysitter that people are already calling, So it, like, drums up the interest, right? So there's a whole shile if you're allowed to do that because it's not MS, right? People are looking at it going, oh, this babysitter is such a great babysitter. Meanwhile, you're the one who ripped it off. Little nuances like that, like living your life with within the framework of not just lying but being completely truthful, I'm going to expand it out to that. So that's that's the first idea. MS is simply MS, what happens is when somebody doesn't realize that MS is MS, what tends to happen is that they slowly become sort of rotted to the core, and the way they do business, and the way they interact with their spouses, and the way they talk to their children, everything is sort of just like hazy and foggy, and you just don't even know, or they don't even know, when they're being truthful. That's the first concept of the mead, and I think that's what everybody sort of understands that to be. But then there's a question. The question is, is that Yaakov Avinu, who we're familiar, it says, Titain, Emes, Yaakov. That Yaakov, of all the others, Yaakov, who was considered the Bechir Sheva Avos. he was like, there was Avram, Yitzhak, and then there was Yaakov. He is called Emes. Titain, Emes, give Emes, truth, truth to Yaakov. Now we all know that if there was ever a person in history that spoke untruths, it was Yaakov, right? Yaakov very famously went ahead, tricked his father, Yitzchak in order to get the brachas. And he goes in, and he dresses himself up, and he says, So the question is like, fine, like he did what he did and he needed to do it. But where is the the MS when it comes to Yaakov? So I think the concept here on this sort of on the second level is that when we think about what MS is, we find that when something bad happens, we say Baruch Dayan Ha We refer to Hashem as like the seal of Hashem is MS. The next world, the entire world, is called Eilam HaMS. And I think that Pshat in Yaakov is a very interesting idea, a phenomenon. We're in what really MS is. It's not speaking truth. MS is understanding that there is a world, and in that world, there is there is the furtherance of ideas that are originating by Hashem and that is MS. MS is Klape Shmaya. In the world to come, there is a concept called MS. And therefore anything which is a furtherance of that idea is considered MS. I'm gonna give you an example. You're probably all familiar with the idea. If you're married, um don't I hope this doesn't rock your marriage. But it's brought down that you're allowed to lie, Lamana Shalom, right? for Shalom, you're allowed to lie, right? And I get calls all the time from husbands who, you know, have this question, like, is this a case where I'm allowed to lie to my life, you know? <laughs> if I'm very truthful here, I'm going to get into a lot of trouble, right? So the answer is, obviously, case by case basis, ask your local Orthodox rabbi, but what does that mean, you're allowed to lie? The answer is because Shalom, the concept of furtherance of a relationship, is more important than whatever is being spoken out right now. And therefore, Yaakov, you know, understood that Klapa Yisroel, as far as Hashem is concerned, the brachas needed to, needed to go through Klal rather than going through Asa. Now, there's there's a story which I think elaborates on this idea a little bit more, which I'd like to read to you. It's a it's a very powerful story, and I read this it took, I read this like two or three times because I thought this was just such an awesome and important message for people who are a struggling with Amuna struggling really with anything in their lives because I think it puts it puts everything into sort of like a, a perspective so uh, this comes from a book the book is called Mission Possible okay it's a very fe- like fantastic book so I think everybody should buy it Mission Possible and he says as follows okay he says that this story was created I'll just give you the disclosure beforehand this go- this story was created by Arbjanteth Erlach based on the writings of the R-Khain Vital, Chaim who said this over from the Arizal and it's taken from a sefer called Yalkut Lekach Okay, so the story goes as follows. There was this young man, he got married, and his name was Yosef. And Yosef comes to visit his mother, who was a widow, whose husband died a few years before. And Yosef comes in, and this woman is sitting at the table, and Yosef wishes his mother Gachabas, and he wishes his siblings Gachabas. And his mother, he could see that she's been crying the whole week. And he says to her, Mommy, I could see that you're crying. You don't stop crying. It's time for you to sort of move past the fact that Tati died. Time for you to move past this. And the mother says, Yosef, it was exactly two years ago, like almost to this time that he died. You know, how could I, it's so fresh. How could I not be crying? So he, So he says, yeah, it's true that it's two years, but you cried yesterday. You cried the day before. You cried the day before. You're always crying. So she said, it's true, but... What am I supposed to do? I can't stop myself. I don't have the strength. I can't go past this. And the children were saying, Ima, I think it's time for you to, you know, try this as well. Anyways, Yosef goes back to his house. And this mother, she goes to sleep. And when she goes to sleep, she has a dream. And I'll read this to you as follows. In her dream, people around her were running. And she ran with them, and they all entered a dense forest. They ran through the forest, and they disappeared into the darkness. She continued to run. As the forest ended, a burst of light suddenly surrounded them. And she sees this bright light and this beautiful garden. It's filled up with exquisite flowers and marvelous fragrances. It seemed like the whole garden was like bathed in like an intense sunlight. And she sees a man with a long silvery beard. And wearing a white robe. And he approaches her and he says, Oh, would you like to go visit your husband? So he said, she said, yeah. The old man stopped beside a large fruit tree, and in the distance she saw a white field and closed it with a golden fence. Inside were a group of people who were wearing brightly colored clothing, sitting in rows and studying Torah. In the middle of them stood a young man who was giving a shear. So the old man turned to Rachel, and he said, wait here a few minutes, soon the share is going to be over, and you'll be able to see your husband. The shear ends, and she sees that the teacher, the one who was giving the shear, starts walking towards her. And she looks up and she sees that it's her husband. She says, Avram, is that you? And he says, yeah. And he says, why did you leave me so young? Like, why did you die when you were so young? So he said to her, let me explain to you something. The world that you live in is not the Olam Haemas. You live in the Olam HaShaker. So what you see is not what you get. In the world that you live in, You just see days and weeks and months and years and you have your perspective as to what's right and what's wrong. But in the world that is the real world, that world is completely different. And he says, I want you to know who I really am. Who I really am is somebody who lived before you. And in that lifetime, I was a tremendous tamachacham and a tzaddik and I used to give shiurim. But I never got married and therefore when I came to Shemayim the first time after I passed away, I was going from level to level within the halls of Shemayim. And when they found out that I didn't get married, they said, very nice, you're a big tamachacham, and your neshama received all of the sachar and the place for all of that. But there's a you can only go till a certain point because you never had children, you never got married. And therefore, they sent me back into this world simply for one tafket to have children. So she said, that's very nice, but... When I knew you, you were not a learned guy. I never saw you open a safer. You were just sitting at home on your phone. Like you didn't, you know what I'm saying? You, you were that guy. You didn't do anything. And here in Gan you're sitting here giving a share? He said, yeah, because my neshama was already a learned neshama. And therefore, I already had that. I didn't come into this world for that tafket. I came into this world to have children. And having children was my sole tafket. And as soon as I fulfilled that and I had the children that I needed to have, that was it. It was time for me to go. So she said, oh, wow. Okay, now tell me about Yosef. Yosef, that son of ours, he's not successful in business. And he explained that, yes, it's true. Yosef once did something in business, and they had a whole decree that Yosef should have many years of pain. And the decree was that he's going to have a few years where his business is going to suffer. But once that Gezerah goes away, he's going to be fine. It's going to be in a short time. He said, okay, and what about David, who, you know, can't find the up? So he's, her husband smiled. He said, that's because his, his kala is only 13 years old. And you're sitting here worried about the kala. The kala is only 13. But in five more years, she's going to move to your city. She's going to marry him. And she's going to be very wealthy. And she's going to pay for the whole wedding. And they're going to be fine. So he, she said, okay. But what about our three-year-old son? He was killed by that drunken driver or whatever it was. Like, what happened to him? So he said, well, for that, I have to show you. And he took her. And they walked together until they came to a sunny grove of little trees. Where are we? From the sky emanated beams of light in different colors. Beautiful birds flew from tree to tree, and she heard them singing, Others were singing, Multicolored insects flew around, and they sang into their ears, and swarms of little creatures running in the grass. Even the grass itself and the trees were singing, and she saw bowls of fire swinging on chains of chains of color. They stopped near her and above her were little angels with wings flying right above her head. And she heard music coming out of instruments and she sees like this magnificent canopy with precious stones and underneath the canopy is her son. And she started crying and she fainted and her, son, her husband took some grass and waved it near her and she was revived and she turned to her son and she said can I ask you a question why did you leave me when you were so young and the child answered everything has been calculated by Hashem I was in this world once before before I was born to you I was here once before I was in a very special family and in that city there was a pogrom and in that pogrom all the Jews of the city was killed except for me a little baby who was only six months old and a Gentile family took me in, raised me until the Jews came from a neighboring town, ransomed me and brought me back to live amongst them. I became a great Tamachacham. I lived the rest of my life very peacefully. And when I came into this world, the Oilema Emes, they received me here with great joy and I rose from level to level until I reached a certain place where I just felt like I couldn't go any, any further. And I said, why couldn't I go further? And they said, the reason was because when you were a baby, you nursed from a Gentile woman. And that's a kitrig on you. And therefore... They said, if you would like, you can go back into that world and you can be born into a family for a very short time and then you could come back over here. And then, anywhere you want to go in Gan Eden, it's all yours. So she said, okay, I understand that. But you were like, murdered, like it was a terrible thing that happened to you. And the baby, the, baby, the three-year-old Nishama, he said, no, I knew that it was my time to pass from the world and at the same time, there was a kittrig against the whole city. That there was supposed to be another pogrom that was going to come and wipe out the whole city. All the families burned down everything. And they said to me, listen, it's your time to come anyways. But if you come in a brutal way, in a way that will shake everybody, and it will cause them to do some introspection and do tshuva, then in that tshus, your death, which is going to happen anyways, will end up saving the whole city. Are you, neshama, interested in being sort of like the carbon?" The one that will be mahar everybody towards tshuva. And he said, Yeah, I'm interested in doing that. And they said, In that schuss, your neshama has even higher levels that it's able to obtain in Eden. And that was what happened. He was killed by this drunken driver, whatever it was. Okay? And the husband said, Yeah, no one in Eden is allowed to see how high this boy goes. Like, he, his neshama is just so high, nobody's able to go there. So the husband turned to the wife and said, I think you saw that all your questions have answers. There is a creator. He creates no evil. Now, I have to go back to my share. Boy has to go back to his learning. Everybody has to go back to where they need to go. And then this woman woke up from her sleep. Now, what is the point of what I'm saying to you? The bottom line is, is that MS, as we perceive it, is not what MS really is. MS is a certain perspective on life that is godly it comes from above it's it's a ray of light that sort of it shines forth that all the things that we shake our heads and we go this makes no sense this is crazy the answer is it's crazy because our perspective is crazy we don't see the real perspective of how the world really really operates so we shake our heads and we go this is nuts. This is the answer is yes because you're living in a Elem Mashaka. Where everything is upside down. So from our world we're like shaking our heads and it makes no sense. Whether it's hunger, sickness, famine, children, death, dying, everything, we're like this makes no sense. But the world of MS, the Elem Ha MS, there there are absolutely no questions over there. So in a certain sense, what it means to live with MS is to live with the perspective that you're being real with yourself in that world. Meaning, Yosef at Salik, we're very familiar, I'm sure everybody knows, that when the brothers came to him and they sat with him, they turned to him and they said, how are we going to go back to our father, right? If you're going to kidnap Binyamin, you're going to keep him in Mitzrayim. And he said, really, you're so concerned about your father? What about me, right? If you're trying to sell me on something, that's not MS. But in the world to come, they sit down with you and they go, here's the MS. Let's talk about who you are. Let's talk about what your motivations were. Every minute of our lives is scrutinized to the point where it's 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 fearful. It's scary. Because it's reality. It's the real MS. And for people who live their lives where they don't even know when they're lying to themselves that shock is going to just be like, oh my gosh. Because the brothers at that moment in time were standing there by Yosef saying to him, what do you mean Yosef? Like, how are we going to go back to our father? He's going to die. They were probably convinced that their argument was a good argument, right? He's he's an old man. You're going to kill him. They were like selling the story not just to Yosef, but to themselves. And Yosef's revelation was, very nice, you think you're convincing me, but you don't even realize how much of a shaker you're saying, the world that we will ultimately enter is the world where all of the things that we, we've held true to ourselves, that we've convinced ourselves, gets revealed to us. And I think that that's where it becomes very, very scary. We don't even realize how much we're lying to ourselves. You know, the Muslims talk about, you could have a person who's davening Shemana And you have two people davening. One guy's davening, looks like a mediocre Shemana And that guy, his Shemana is like the highest of the high. If another guy, he's davening Shemina Esrei and he looks like he's like moving the, the, the heavens and the earth. And that guy, Shemina Esrei, is terrible. In fact, they're going to use that Shemina Esrei against him. Why? Because what's going on inside of him is, I hope people are looking at me. I hope I get more covered. I hope they give me an Aliyah this Shabbos. Like what's going through his brain is all narcissistic, you know, thinking. It's all about him. It's all egocentric. He's not thinking to himself the words of his He's not davening for somebody else. He's not living in that world of MS. He's convinced himself that what he's doing is righteous, but in reality it's not righteous at all. I saw this this very fascinating you may have heard through some of my classes. I have like a, a bit of a fascination with um with like Navy Seals and people who have like achieved certain Certain, you know, physical milestones. For me as an accountant sitting at the desk for so so many hours is challenging. Let alone people who are sitting there, you know, for 24 hours, like, you know, shooting at people. It's just like mind-blowing what these people are able to accomplish. So I saw that there is actually a program. I am not signing up. You don't have to worry. Um, But this program is for civilians who want to experience what it means to go through the training of being a Navy SEAL. They have x Navy SEALs and other commandos, special forces, who put you through, like, a boot camp. It's, like, six weeks where you literally go through the entire thing, okay? And I was, like, reading up on it, and I was checking it out, and I was like, okay, this is never going to happen in this lifetime for me. Maybe in another lifetime I was something, I don't know, but definitely not in this planet, not in this lifetime. Yeah, no, not happening. Um, and, and there was one small thing that struck me, and really struck it really stuck out. After they go through, what the way they usually work is that they give everybody a helmet with a number, and that number represents who you are. So let's say they start a class of 100 people, and that number is on a helmet, so let's say you're number 50, your helmet 50 is sitting there. The minute you tap out, there's a bell, you pick up your helmet, you ring the bell, and you leave. And those helmets represent basically who's left. So after they basically whittle it down from like 100 people to like 10, they... They say to them, listen, you guys know how this works. You know how to do the jumping jacks and the push-ups and the, 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 what are they, whatever they're called. The planks, whatever. You know how to do all this stuff, okay? You guys are good. So on this next, um mission that we're gonna do, we're gonna have a whole day of things that you need to do. We're gonna give you instructions, and we want you to follow these instructions to the T. Now, we're not coming with you, and, whatever, but like, there's gonna be certain milestones that you have to hit. We have to like raise a flag, or, Put a coin in a box, so we'll know if you did it. But realistically speaking, you're on your own. Today is one of those days where you're on your own. And they send them out, and they have like a whole list of stuff that they need to do. And they basically need to go from like mountain top to mountain top. It's like a mile between each mountain, and on each mountaintop, they have to stop and do let's let's say 100 jumping jacks, 100 push ups, 100 sit ups, whatever it is on every single mountain And they tell them everything you do. You should count it out loud, and you should do it with Kavana, and you should do it, you know, like, do it the right way. Each and every, make every push-up count, make each jumping jack count. Like, go out there and really do it. Like, you guys are already five weeks into this six-week program. You guys are the elite of the elite. Go do it right. And what they show you is that they actually set up hidden cameras on every single mountaintop by every station. And they monitor these cameras where these participants have no idea. And they say to them, make sure that you do it 100% right, no cutting corners. And if you do cut corners, then we'll cut you from the program. At the end of the day, everyone's sitting around eating dinner. And the commanders come in and they say, is there anybody here that didn't do everything that they were supposed to do today? Everyone's like eating, like, no, good. And the guy says, I'm gonna say that again. Is there, is there anybody here that didn't do everything that they were supposed to do today? And like nobody's like saying anything. And the guy's like, listen, I'm gonna lose it if there's somebody who didn't do what they were supposed to do today and they don't step forward. It's gonna get me very angry. And this guy's an opposing guy. And there's one participant who says, you know, um, on one of the things where I was on top of a mountain I'm not sure that I got all of like my jumping jacks. I'm not like, 100% sure. So like, if you want to know, like, truthfully I, I'm not sure. So he says, come with me. So he brings him into a room and he shows him that they actually have cameras that are set up on each of those stations. And he shows him that he was watching him show up not realizing there was a camera, and the guy starts doing his jumping jacks. And there's, like, the eighth mountain already. It's, like, eight miles in. He did already, like, a million things during the day. And the guy's doing his jumping jacks, and he sees you're supposed to do 100. He gets, like, 94, 95. And you see the guy, like look around for a second. And, like, you could see it, like, registering in his brain. Like, I'm on the top of a mountain, in the middle of a desert. Nobody's here. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. And, like, when he was, like, in 97, he's, like, 97. <laughs> and he's, like, And he, like, goes like this, and he just continues running down the mountain. And the guy shows him this clip. And he says to him, we saw you. Like, we caught you. And he's like, I, like, it's over. We're time to, like, that's it. You're you're done. The guy's like, no, how you can't cut me from the program? I made five weeks, a few days left. I'm almost there. He's like, can't cut me for three jumping jacks. And he says, let me explain to you something. He says, I'm not cutting you for three jumping jacks. I'm cutting you because you are a fraud. There's a concept in, in Gemara. This is not what he said there. Okay. There's a concept in Gemara, something called din pruta kiddin meya. A person steals a dollar, it's as if they stole a hundred dollars. You are a thief. He said to him, you are a fraud. You are a person who's standing on a mountaintop in the middle of nowhere, thinking nobody's watching, and you think you could get away with it, you get away with it. If you think you could cut corners, you're going to cut corners. So he says, you as a father are a father that will cut corners. You as a husband are a person who will cut corners. You as an employee are somebody who will cut corners. What you do, you don't do 100%. And the motto here, what we try to drill into you, is that you do everything 100%. You get up in the morning, you make your bed, you wash the floor, you take a shower, you do everything with 100%. You don't do anything 99%. And he said, therefore, the reason why we're cutting you from the program is because you're a fraud. You're a guy who cuts corners. and The only people graduating from this, from this program are people who are not cutting corners. And the realization from this guy that he was like, I can't believe it, but I understand it. I understand that in my life, I'm somebody who cuts corners, takes shortcuts, is not 100% honest and truthful. And I, I think that the concept of MS, in a certain sense, besides being truthful... Besides not becoming an, a liar in the sense that like in our own lives we don't know what we're saying and what we're doing, is that we're living a life where we're not lying to ourselves. And in a certain sense, lying to yourself, it means like you're not living with your life under scrutiny. Meaning if somebody had that secret window into your life, like what would that look like? Would it be something that like what you're showing to the outside world is really what you're showing to yourself? are the people around you, do they perceive you as the same way as people on the outside? Like, all of these little nuances are, I think, what encompasses MS. And therefore, I think, if I may say humbly, that the reason why the Pasuk says, midvar sheker tirchak, stay away from sheker, and it doesn't say that you should run after MS, is because MS is not from this world. not. You could think you're doing this and it's totally that. But what we do know in this world is Shekhar. Shekhar is Shekhar. So the pasuk is telling us Midvar Shekhar, Terchak, stay away from Shekhar. Why? Because you could differentiate between Shekhar and non-Shekhar. Ms. Ms. is already from the other planet. That's like how everything works out in the Illumis. That's not for you to like sit there and, and delve into. And a person who does that, who lives their life like that, really has to marry uh, this farm talk about this has to really marry a few other midos a person like that has to be somebody who's married to anivas somebody who's humble when they make a mistake they own up to the mistake they're able to say wow I really messed up I should have done something differently please forgive me these words are words of MS where the reality of the situation of who you are you're dialed into that and you're tapped into that and somebody who's not living a world like that is somebody who may not be an out and out liar they may not lie. But at the end of the day, they may not be honest with themselves. And I think that the highest level of honesty is where you're really truthful with yourself. You're honest with yourself. You're not self-critical just to be critical. You're critical to bring yourself to bigger and better places because you say to yourself, what can I do different? And a person who lives with that level of MS, let's call it, is a person who their life will be successful, Mert because... They're not lying to themselves. And when you're not lying to yourselves, you're almost guaranteed not to lie to other people. Because the way you're living your life has consistency, it has a certain amount of wholesomeness, and the people around you will feel that. And that's MS. MS means living with a higher purpose. The purpose of I'm doing things on the straight and narrow as much as I understand. Understanding that there's a much bigger picture to the world, and that ultimately all the suffering, all the challenges, everything that I see in my life I'll be able to to see, and I want to just end with one just thought that just struck me now. Living with MS is not just saying is not just saying the truth. Living with MS is living with real emuna. It's realizing that you're not just living your life to say the truth. You're living your life in a way that's consistent with the Ilama MS. And every when things happen in your life that are challenging, you're able to be civil. That you're able to to accept that because you realize that in the world of MS. That, this is MS, this is good, this is taiv. I don't see it. That's because you're living in a world of shakar. So, a person who has MS as a midah is a person who's really content, is a person who really understands that, like, I see things the way I see things, but my MS and my din and my khajban is not necessarily MS. The ultimate MS is recognizing that there's a higher MS, there's an MS where everything has a place and has a perspective that I don't necessarily see. And a person like that really has true inner Menucha Sanavash. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com